Alright, welcome to your Red Triangle Sports Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kozlowski. I have with me here, Eddie Mitchum, and um, a new podcaster with us for his first time here, Dylan Bowles, going to be joining us to talk a little baseball later on. Um, first, let's talk about some of the new NFL head coaches. Um, I want to talk about some of the fantasy relevancy that has to do with the new jobs here that we have in the NFL first one, I think, and the most important one is Chip Kelly going to the 49ers. Um, I think now that Chip Kelly's in means that Colin Kaepernick will stay with San Francisco. Ed, if you want to let us know um, what you think about that, that would be great. Yeah, I think Colin Kaepernick's a shoe in to be their guy next year. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the one thing about Chip Kelly is that we've we've said kind of all year he's never had a quarterback that could run his system the way it should be. Everyone's talked about Bradford carrying out that play fake and never really being a threat to the defense. It's going to be interesting to see what they can do there. Um, I, th- I feel like a lot of people are going to overspend in a lot of leagues on Kaepernick next year just because of this Chip Kelly factor. It happened this year. People spent up on Bradford. People spent up all over their offense just because of this Chip Kelly factor that really was non-existent this year. Um, and I don't think that Colin Kaepernick is going to be able to do what people are hoping he'll do unless they find him some weapons in the pass game. And that kind of leads me to the next Chip Kelly point. Uh, if you look at the receivers he's kind of been bringing around, the Aguilars and Matthews was kind of a disappointment this year, up and down. A lot of garbage time touchdowns kind of saved his fantasy season. If he can't find a productive receiver to come in and help Kaepernick and give him a target, then I don't think we're going to see much better out of the passing game, out of Kaepernick next year. Bull, you were a guy that liked Kaepernick at one point this year. Um, can't can't do any better than I mean, you can't do any worse than he did this year, right? Yeah, that was uh, not the right <laughs> play there for seventeen dollars. That's for sure. But <clears throat> it's gonna be interesting to see what he can do in Chip Kelly's system. I saw a mock draft <clears throat> going off what Eddie said. Uh, Laquan, Laquan Treadwell from Old Miss. I saw they had him slotted at that seven spot. So that would obviously nice. be a good be a good target for him. Yeah, I don't know if Bolden. I don't know what Bolden's contract situation is, but I can't imagine if he's a free agent. Um, he's a guy that probably will be considering retirement soon at this point. He's had a nice career, though. Um, all right, just so you guys know, we're filming this live during the Packers Cardinals game. So Chip Kelly's going to be going up against a team like Arizona and Seattle, and even a St. Louis team that I think is um, probably trending upwards. Is that going to be a problem for him? I mean, he went against Pete Carroll a lot in the Pac-12. I think he's familiar with the way Pete Carroll coaches. Um, any concerns with the fact that he's in such a tough division, though? I mean, they're all interesting points. There's so many interesting angles to look at with this hiring. Um, there's a lot of good defenses in this in this league here, or in this conference. But I think we've seen Cam Newton and Russell Wilson find a way to be effective. And I, I don't think... Kaepernick's far off from what they are. I see a little bit of a gunslinger in Cam Newton sometimes, the way he flings the ball down the field. I see that in Kaepernick, too. Um, he single-handedly beat the Packers in that playoff game a couple years ago when he rushed for whatever it was, over 200, I think it was. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, so he's certainly capable of doing it. I think they might be able to find a way to get it done at times. The thing for me, a guy that I, didn't, I breezed right over and didn't even mention the first time I was talking about this was uh, Carlos Hyde. I don't know what it means to him. I know... 
you like him. I love what, I love Carlos Hyde and what it means to him. I'm not sure. I don't know what kind of runner he is right now. I see that downhill physical DeMarco Murray type runner in him. So I don't know if this outside zone scheme is going to fit him. But I mean, he's effective in space as well too. So I see. I, I think he's a dynamic guy. Be interesting to see what it means to him and what his draft stock turns into next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Chip Kelly has to do in San Francisco. <clears throat> Um, second coaching hire, Ben McAdoo for the Giants. Um, McAdoo has been the offensive coordinator in the last two seasons. Eli Manning has had two nice seasons with McAdoo and with Odell Beckham. Um, everything kind of stays status quo in New York, or we expect maybe even more of an uptick for those guys. I, I think they need to find a running back still, but you know, I'll let you guys jump in. Yeah, I think the one thing they got to do is find a running back. Um, I think this hiring allows them to have the continuity in what they're trying to do with Eli Manning. He's coming off his last two seasons being some of the best as far as efficiency and completion percentages, which is good for him. He's kind of gotten rid of some of those, a couple throws a game where you just kind of shake your head and wonder what he's doing. Um, so it's going to be a good thing for Eli Manning. <clears throat> Certainly be a good thing for Beckham, but I think they need to find really a number two threat at receiver because Ruben Randall's not the guy. Um, Harris can't be the guy either they got to find a number two receiver, and they've got to find a number one running back. I think Jennings could have been that guy this year, but for whatever reason, whether it was McAdoo or Coughlin, they refused to lean on him heavily. Um, so if they can find those two things, I mean, this offense could be very dynamic. Eli could be in for a pretty nice year next year and find himself uh, right on the cusp of the top five quarterbacks, I think. Bull, um, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown. Which one of those three do you prefer as a fantasy owner? <clears throat> as a fantasy owner, I think you have to go Antonio Brown just because of the production that he, he brings. But Odo Beckham, I thought this year in his sophomore year he was going to have a down year, and obviously he didn't. So it is showing that he is the real deal, and he's definitely the caliber receiver along with Jones and Brown. You can't really go wrong in my opinion, mm-hmm. but I think I would still have to put both of them over Beckham at this point okay. just because there isn't a number two. Where uh, those other those other people have maybe a little bit more around them, but I don't know. His upside is definitely there. Yeah, I agree. I have Brown one, but I think um, Beckham and Jones is just a total coin flip. I don't know. I think the Giants are trending, um, and Eli Manning are trending up. But I think I feel like Matt Ryan is trending the other way. So I think that's why I may give Beckham a slight edge there. All right, so we just got done watching the Chiefs Patriots game. Chiefs offensive coordinator Doug Peterson just signed to be the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, we, all three of us, spent some time complaining about the Chiefs offensive game plan in that game. So, to me, the Eagles are going from one end of the spectrum to the other as far as offensive philosophy going from Chip Kelly to Doug Peterson. Uh, Peterson isn't, hasn't been calling the plays in Kansas City. I don't really know what he's doing exactly as the offensive coordinator. Then if he's not calling the plays, Andy Reid's not calling the plays. Some guy, old whitehead guy with the headset on was calling the plays that I don't remember his name. But um Doug Peterson to Philly, what what is this what does this mean? <laughs> this is the real head scratcher. It almost it almost feels like Philly was running out of time and had to pull the trigger, I wanna say. Um I, I, I've joked as a DeMarco Murray owner about putting him on my keeper list just because I think it's funny because everyone says that he's, he, he could get an uptick because of the run-first scheme that Peterson will bring. Um, 
it's going to be interesting. I think we'll see a much more conservative style offense, which uh, with all the playmakers that Chip sent out the door, you'd think a conservative play style may fit what they have right there, there right now. Um, it's going to be interesting uh, see if the market can get back on track and what will be more back to that pro style offense, downhill running behind the offensive line, eye formation type stuff, and, and see what will happen with that. You guys think Bradford could be an Alex Smith type quarterback in that system if Bradford were to stay in Philly? Um, I don't know. Uh, Bradford didn't do as bad as I thought he was going to do this year, and the numbers towards the end of the year actually showed that he was pretty decent. But um, I think Alex Smith may be somebody he can be comparable to. He doesn't. He runs a little bit, but not too much. He's not as mobile. Yeah. I don't but, think he's um, as mobile as Smith, but he he can run a little bit. <clears throat> I don't know. He's shown that he can he can be a above average quarterback. So I don't know. I think if you're Philly, you should try to keep him. I don't know what other better options are out there. That's a good point, Ed. Can you think of any better options out there at quarterback than Sam Bradford for this team next year? It's a very slim pickings coming out of the draft, I feel like. So I don't think you're going to find your answer in the draft. Um, I think Bradford proved this year that he can still play in this league um, to some capacity. I think he can be a game manager, which I think is what you're trying to ask. That's what everyone says Alex Smith kind of is. I, I personally like Alex Smith. I think he brings a little more to the table. I just don't think he's ever really had weapons around him. People forget he went through five offensive coordinators in five years. He's been in some messy situations, and he's kind of still turned out a lot better than a lot of number one overall picks have in the past at the quarterback position. He's certainly far from a bust, um, and he's still got a bright future ahead of him with Andy Reid. So to answer your question, I think Bradford could be their guy next year. And I think he would do fine as a game manager. They just gotta, they gotta shore up the receiver position. I think they gotta get him someone to go to. Yeah, I'm interested to see what a guy like Aguilar does in year two. He was a guy I was high on coming into this year. Obviously, didn't pan out, but I'll be interested to see if maybe he gets an uptick here, or if they go out and try to add another receiver to go with him and Matthews. Um, next quarterback, uh, next coach. I want to talk about this one's probably. Next to Chip Kelly, the one that I'm most excited about, Adam Gase, going to Miami. Um, I'm not saying that Adam Gase had to help Peyton Manning, but Peyton Manning put up career numbers in the two years he spent with Adam Gase. Um, And then, obviously, this year we saw a different Jay Cutler, a better version of Jay Cutler, a more efficient version of Jay Cutler under Adam Gase. So... A lot of people were really high on the Dolphins coming into this season. I think it's going to be even higher coming into next season. Um, so, Adam Gates, what are you guys expecting from him going to Miami? I think it's going to be a good fit. Um, you know, everything kind of surfaced about Philbin not being a Tannehill guy and wanting to go elsewhere at the quarterback position. Um, I still think Tannehill can get it done. He just needs to be in some stability. He needs to be put into that game manager role for a little bit until he can flourish within a system. Um, Gaze is one of those quote-unquote quarterback whisperers, as it seems. So it's going to be interesting to see what he can get in there and do. Um, it's also going to be able, be interesting to see if they um, retain the running back and keep him there, if they let him go, and, and, and what it means for him because he had an unstable year this year. But I think it's a big uptick for Tannehill, and we'll see what it means to him. Yeah, Tannehill definitely showed spurts this year where he was an above-average 
at least fantasy quarterback. And I think that he has some tools around him with Jarvis Landry. And um, so if they keep Lamar Miller. And Devontae Parker. Yeah, Devontae Parker showed flashes this year. and So I think that if he does what he's done for other quarterbacks, he can take Daniel to that next level. And I do like the Dolphins team. Yeah, I think they're a team that's going to be a trendy pick next year with him as a new coach. Um, still a tough division, obviously, with the Patriots. I'm, I'm not a Bills believer, and it's because of Rex Ryan. Um, so I'm, yeah, so I'm not really expecting much out of them, but I like the Dolphins, and I'm not sure the Jets were as good as they as they showed that they were this year. So, um, all right, so going off a coaching hire that I was excited about, let's move to one that I just don't understand. Hugh Jackson going to the Browns, staying in the same division. Um, he's been the offensive coordinator the last two years for the Bengals. He's done a good job as the offensive coordinator. He said today he's not going to hire an offensive coordinator in Cleveland because he wants to continue calling the plays. He had an 8-8 eight and eight season as his one year as a head coach for Oakland before getting canned there. Um, I, this is just one I don't understand. I, don't, I, don't, I saw Hugh Jackson in the hard knock season, and I know he gets a lot of love from the media, and a lot of people seem to like him as a football guy, but he's just not a guy I can get real excited about, and I think Cleveland needed to make more of a splash. I'm going to disagree with you on this one. <clears throat> I like this hire. Um, I think he might be able to bring a sense of calmness to the Cleveland organization that's been all over the place the last couple of years, the last decade, decade and a half, however long it's been. It's been a long time. Um, I think, you know, he came in there and said, I want to do away with Johnny Manziel. We'll see if that happens. We'll see if those reports are real. Um, he had two stints with the Bengals. He was the Bengals coach a while back, uh, receivers coach. And he dealt with guys like Chad Johnson. He dealt with guys like TJ Hushmanzada. A lot of characters off the, on and off the field and got a lot of great production out of them and kind of kept them out of trouble as much as he could. So I think he's a good offensive mind. Um, it's really tough for anyone over the last 10 years to say they've gone into Oakland and been successful. So I don't really hold that against him. Um, it's tough to make that jump to the head coaching position in the NFL. So I really think he might be able to build from what he did there and take what did work and what didn't work, probably a lot more of what didn't work, and maybe apply that to what he's doing now. Um, Josh Gordon stayed out of trouble this whole year under the suspension. At least he stayed out of the news. So getting him back and and that's where I really that's why I bring up the Chad Johnson and TJ Hushmanzada deal because I think if there's anyone that can maybe get him on track and get him to staying out of the limelight and just producing. Hugh Jackson could be the guy. Um, so we'll see. He got a lot out of Andy Dalton this year. He, out, he outperformed what I think anyone expected for him. So I think it's a good hire from them, and we'll see what it means. It's a guy coming from across from in the division a lot of time at Cincinnati. Be able to re, re-uptick that uh, rivalry there with Cincinnati and Cleveland. I'm sure he'll have them fired up to play Cincinnati every time they show up. So, Well, Bull, I was going to ask you, you hear a guy like this say that he's done with Johnny Manziel and he wants away from that, but then you got a guy like Josh Gordon on that roster too. What is yeah. that? What is? What do you think of that when you hear him say he's done with Manziel? I mean, Anybody's going to give Gordon a shot? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, he's he comes from the Bengals who, <laughs> as we saw in the last, last week, uh, first round of playoffs, they have a lot of characters on their team as well. So, 
I don't know. I like Johnny Football. Yeah. Maybe not as a football player. I don't know. I just think I I think that he had nothing around him to help him succeed. And <clears throat> the media coverage that he gets is just absurd in a bad way because you know, every little thing that he does, he gets scrutinized for. So I think that he could be better, but he definitely isn't the answer if they're looking for a, like a franchise quarterback. But just the Browns, the Browns' job, I don't know. You get what you get with that. Yeah. You, you might you think, like, you're probably, probably going to get fired in a couple of years anyway, so. <laughs> they, they have had a ton of turnover at the coaching position. Um, yeah, and that Johnny Menzel marriage, it just never, I don't think it was ever going to work. They, I don't feel like the Mike Pettin never, he never wanted him to be his quarterback, and the owners really wanted him, and just, it never seemed like it was ever going to really pan out, so. I think they took him the draft just to bring publicity to their their team and it just completely backfired. Yeah, he fell to a point where they almost had to take him. It just made sense. I think the other quarterbacks were all off the board other than maybe Teddy Bridgewater, so it almost felt like they had to take Manziel and they I know he never really seemed happy to be there and I don't think the coaches that were given Johnny Manziel were happy to have him. I just see a lot of similarities there in what he had in Cincinnati. You know, Duke Johnson, that Gio Bernard type Mm -hmm. type role. I mean, Crowell isn't isn't the answer there for their uh, first down back? I don't think. But that's a guy that I wanted to bring up, and I'm glad you did because I just forgot. Uh, I think this is a huge help for Duke Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know um, Gary Barnage outproduced what anyone thought. Came off, came out of nowhere, off the radar. Um, but I think Hugh Jackson's a guy that can definitely get more out of him, or at least help him sustain what he did this year and make it not just a just kind of a flash in the pan type year for him. And then Travis Benjamin. Um, you know, he's another guy that's going to flourish, I think, under this hiring. So I liked it. Um, different side of the fence from you, but I like it. All right, Dirk Cutter stays on in Tampa Bay. He got announced as the head coach, I believe, yesterday. He's been the offensive coordinator this past year, I believe, for um, Jameis Winston. I think it's good that they're keeping Cutter there to help develop Winston and keep that process moving. I know the Lovey Smith firing was a little bit of a surprise, but the Bucks do have some interesting offensive pieces, so you think this probably helps their guys? Yeah, the Lovey Smith firing caught me off guard because I believe his first three years in, in Chicago were something like two wins, six wins, and then 11 wins, and I think a playoff team. His first two years in Tampa Bay were two wins, six wins, and they didn't give him a third year. And it's been well documented that it seems as though the reason they did this move was because uh, Cutter was getting some attention from other teams and they wanted to time up and keep him as their quote-unquote quarterback whisperer there with Jameis Winston. Um, He showed a lot of growth this year. And if you're going to make him your franchise quarterback, I guess you want a guy that's going to be right there with him through it all and kind of develop him and keep that continuity for him, which I think – is a, is a big thing. You know, so a lot of these number one overall quarterbacks don't pan out because they go to bad teams. They see a lot of offensive coordinators. They see a lot of head coaches. There's a lot of turnover on their teams, and they don't pan out. And the interesting thing was with these playoffs in this divisional round here that we're watching now, there were four, right? Mm-hmm. Four number one overall quarterbacks, and if I'm not mistaken, none of them are on the team they were drafted by. Uh, you got Manning, Alex Smith, Cam's obviously still with Carolina, Cam, Cam's and really then um, 
Carson Palmer is on his third team. Yeah, Cam's the only one that's still with the team. He was brought on by Peyton Manning, obviously, because of some different circumstances. But, I mean, that's just the point. And then you look at all the number one busts that's kind of been over the years. So, I think it's good to get him that continuity and set into an offense and kind of try to bring him along. Bowles Winston, a guy you think maybe sneaks into top 10, 12 quarterbacks. I mean, he's got Mike Evans, maybe Doug Martin stays. Is he a guy you're kind of interested to see what he can do as he moves forward? He was decent as a rookie. You're saying top 10 like this coming year? Yeah. <clears throat> um, he, I would definitely put him in the top half of the league. I don't know if I'll go top 10 just because... There's a lot of good quarterbacks. Yeah, there's, a lot, there's a lot. There's like there's a lot of quarterbacks to pick from, and um, <clears throat> he showed obviously showed that he could be a top tier quarterback this year. But it's still part of the developmental process, and as much as he learns, people are learning stuff about him, so they can counteract that in, in his second year and stuff like that. But it'll definitely be interesting to watch. Might be a good gamble to take. Yeah, he's definitely a guy I would consider um, as a QB two, someone that maybe could generate some upside and maybe end up being a steal in the draft next year. And the last coaching hire happened just a couple hours ago. Titans decided to stick with Mike Malarkey, I believe. Um, He was the interim head coach this year. Um, I'm not sure what this means for Tennessee. I feel like that roster is just missing so much. They don't have a running game. They have a couple interesting wide receiver targets for Mariota. Um, But I'm not sure if this necessarily helps him or not. Yeah, this one for me was a big head scratcher. They they didn't produce under him when he took over as the interim head coach. It doesn't seem like the offense really took on a different form than what it had before he took over as the head coach. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what it means to a guy like Mariota. Um, again, another team that I think has to shore up their running back situation. I think Cobb could be the guy there next year, especially if he loses some pounds in the offseason. Seems like a guy that could take that job over with the lack of talent they have there. Um, we'll see. Uh, maybe they're just trying to keep him around and keep him around Mariota because he's been what's been there and try and give Mariota that same thing I said with Winston, that continuity and a guy that can kind of bring him along. But um, certainly was an interesting one because they didn't do much once he took over. You would have expected the Titans to go hard after Chip Kelly right yeah. having Mariota I don't even I thought think they were a, I yeah. thought that was a Sherlock yeah I mean it makes sense I think going to San Francisco but you didn't even really hear him mentioned with the Tennessee job which was kind of shocking to me I thought that was basically a slam dunk um, when Kelly got fired and for as much as Chip Kelly loved Mariota yeah. in college you would have thought he would have made it public that he wanted to go there yeah and he it never even really came out so so those are the, the coaching hires um, and the fantasy implications moving forward, I think, for these teams. Obviously, most of them were at the bottom of the league this year. It's why they were looking for new coaches. So it's always exciting, I think, to see these new new coaches come in and see what they can do with players that maybe weren't succeeding um, under their old regimes. Yeah. The last thing I'll add to it before we move on is that all these hires um, – Zero defensive guys yeah. hired. Zero defensive minds. No guys coming from defensive coordinator spot. Or That's just the way coach. the league's trending, right? It's, yeah, and it, it goes right along with what I've said about some of these coaches. They're all trying to bring in the guy that can bring along quarterbacks because it's a quarterback-driven league. You see it in the playoffs now. It's all top-tier quarterbacks that are left, and you got to have a quarterback to be successful in this league. Yeah, I agree, and 
it was definitely all quarterback driven I think hires here so very very interesting stuff moving forward as far as the new head coaches and the fantasy implications for their players no college guys either no uh, looks like Michael Floyd just caught a touchdown for Arizona very nice catch puts them on the board leading Green Bay here early in the first quarter alright so we're going to shift gears um, we're going to take our first stab talking NBA here um, Eddie and I have been spending a lot of time the last couple of weeks really kind of diving into the NBA and trying to figure out the whole daily fantasy side of NBA. And um, for what it's worth, I'm a football and baseball guy, or was football and baseball guy. Um, I've now kind of seen the light with basketball. For me, there's no better daily fantasy game than NBA. Every night, um, a lot of different options. It, it makes the NBA, I think, <laughs> a lot of fun to watch. It's something that they should definitely... Um, be really driving forward in this league. Um, but one of the first things that Eddie and I really started looking at here was uh, the pace of play, the pace of play stat in the NBA. So, Ed, you've done, I think, a majority of our research on this. So kind of talk to us a little bit about what the, the pace of play stat and what you're looking for when you when you start looking at uh, pace of play for not only teams but the opponents they're playing that night. Yeah, so for me... <clears throat> It's easy to look around at the, uh, the Vegas lines and, and take a look at the over-unders and try to gauge who you're going to pick off those over-unders. A lot of those over-unders are driven from the pace of play stats. The pace of play stats <coughs> is just basically how many possessions the teams are getting. Um, so what I tried to do here over the last couple hours as I've really been digging deep into it is just take a look at the pace of play of uh, teams and how many possessions they're averaging per game, and then take a look at the guy, the opponents they're playing. Um, obviously, if you get two teams that are up in the top tier of pace of play, you're going to see a little bit more of that track meet. It's a lot more shots. Um, and we spent some time talking. The one thing I noticed is, you know, as, as you look at it, you see the top team in pace of play in the league is Sacramento with 102 um, in their pace of play st- statistic. And the last team in the league at 30th is Utah with 93.5. That's only a difference of eight and a half. It doesn't seem a lot, but as we started to talk about it, you realize, you know, eight and a half possessions, if they go to the right guy and it's the right shots, you know, the right rebounds for the right guy, it can mean a lot for you. It could be six points, which could put you in or out of the money in your daily lineups. Um, so it's definitely something worth looking at. And what I've tried to spend some time doing here. Um, I feel like there's a lot of debate on what's more important, the pace of play or the opponent's position rank and how well they defend that position as you're trying to build your lineups. Um, so what I'm going to be spending some time doing over the next couple weeks here is trying to build what I think might be my own formula. There might be some people doing it out there, but I've had some trouble finding it. I'm trying to find a way to average um, the team's pace of play averaged with their opponent's pace of play and then find a way to tie in also that opponent's position rank. So I've done that with a lot of teams tonight to find out who might be carrying the best point guard plays. And then I also dug deep into the point guards tonight to figure out who the specific point guards are. Um, I really dug deep into the top five because it's easy to look at the top five guys' price range for tonight. Curry, Lillard, uh, Chris Paul, John Wall, and Rajon Rondo. It's easy to look at those guys and look at their game logs and see you know, the 40, 50-point outputs, a 60-point output here and there. But um, 
it's important to understand why that's happening. And it's because of the pace of play and the opponent's <coughs> position. And if you just throw a guy in there because he went for 50 the night before and he's playing against Utah, who's going to slow it down, there's an easy 40-point game coming for you and you don't reach value. Um, so just dig, digging deep into that pace of play is going to help you be able to build the guys that are going to get a lot more opportunities um, and get a lot more shots up. All right, so you talked a little bit about the point guard position because that's one that we spent the most time on today. The top five teams in pace of play are the Kings, the Warriors, the Celtics, the Suns, and the Wizards. Um, I think it's really easy. I wanted to talk about players that have benefited from this pace of play. And all five of those teams, the common thread is that they're point guards. Um, you got Rajon Rondo, huge fantasy output. Steph Curry, obviously, arguably the best fantasy player in the game. Um, Isaiah Thomas has had a huge uptick playing Celtic, the Celtics offense as they try to move the ball. And then the Suns, uh, Brandon Knight's been, I think, a great value play a lot of nights. And then, obviously, John Wall with the Wizards. So those are five top-tier point guards who are all, I think, benefiting by pace of play. Yeah, absolutely. I think the pace of play stat is going to benefit the point guard more than anyone because they're going to be the guy that takes the outlet pass and is pushing that pace that allows teams to get more possessions for themselves and the opponents. Um, when you have guys like Ronda who are facilitators, they're going to get an uptick in their assists uh, pretty regularly running the floor. Guys like Curry that will pull up and shoot it are going to get that uptick with the transition three. Um, Isaiah Thomas has really found a way to kind of do it all. Um, here the last couple nights he's been – kind of putting himself on the map even more. Um, and then John Wall, I think he's going to benefit even more, and his pace of play may go up. They may climb from five when Bradley Beal's back and healthy because that's kind of his his running mate. And when those two push the ball, and when he's kicking to him for three or vice versa, both both those guys really get out and run. Um, so that's, that's going to be a big benefit for them. Um, and the one thing I notice as I look at these top five teams, the only really outlier – to me, when looking at something different, is Sacramento. They're the number one team in pace of play, and they're the only team that has really a dominant forward that, that plays that big man type style. I mean, I know he's a little bit of a stretch in Cousins. He shoots a three a little bit. Um, but the rest of these teams, Golden State, Boston switching guys in and out of the big man and power forward spots. Phoenix is kind of a dumpster fire in what their lineup and, and finding regular guys that can play there. And Washington's had some injury concerns with their big men. Um, so, to me, I think when you're looking at pace of play, that has to drive your guard play. Um, maybe the slower pace of play guys and teams maybe benefits you at center. That's something I'm going to try to dig deeper into and see if there's better center output from the slower paces where they're actually running the offense and getting it into the big man in the post and letting them do some things. Um, so that's something to dig deeper into. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but can you pull up some of the teams that are at the bottom of pace of play? You still have that up? Yep, down at the bottom, um, <clears throat> there's three teams tied at 25. It's San Antonio for obvious reasons. The yeah. offense they run is just... It's more on efficiency than volume. Exactly. Um, and then you have Memphis, Toronto, Cleveland, which was a little bit of a surprise. Um, you'd think you know LeBron getting out and running. I just feel like LeBron's saving himself a Yeah. Lot. He, he plays when he wants to play. Um, he saved himself for the playoffs, I think, clearly. Miami down at 29. Um, and Utah at 30. 
Okay, so the teams that kind of stand out to me there. Who was the second team you said? Memphis. Memphis, okay. But Cleveland, you look at a team, a guy like Kyrie Irving, who in all scales is seen as a great NBA player, hasn't really been a great fantasy option this year. And what I think you're telling me is you think pace of play has a lot to do with that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they got kind of the three-headed monster. They're going to share the ball. They they seem to run a little bit more of an offense. A lot of it's a lot of ISO offense though. I mean, yeah. you know, whoever has the ball it seems like they're going to take their guy one on one. So that's why to me it's kind of surprising their pace of play is not higher. Um, the other thing I'll say is some of these teams that are down at the bottom of the pace of play, you you might want to dig deeper into their offensive efficiency too with that because I think the reason why some of these teams find themselves down there uh, with teams like San Antonio, Cleveland, Miami, some of them are probably your better defensive teams in the league. Yeah. If they're pushing the opponent into a deeper shot clock and not getting shots within, you know, down to the five-second mark of the shot clock, that's going to slow the pace down. So they might be very highly efficient on the offensive end, but they're also forcing a late shot clock on the defensive end, which is going to slow the pace down. Yeah, that's something that we should probably look into, too, with the top five um, pace teams is what what are they allowing per game. So... Um, that's definitely that's kind of what we're leaning with the NBA and it may be kind of our focal point of our NBA podcast when we start to talk more and more about it as we get deeper and deeper into the winter here um, I think that's something that it seems to make sense a lot of times we've kind of looked at the top 10 the game logs from guys and we've said oh well that makes sense why they did what they did that night they were going against a team that not only is weak against their position, but the pace of play for that team is also high, as well as their team. So we're kind of going back and looking at past games now to kind of help us see what 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 had guys doing what they did on their big nights. Um, Ed, anything else you want to add about the NBA? No, I, I think that covers it. I mean, just try to dig deeper into what you're doing. Uh, it's easy to go out and find plays from people that are posting stuff, but I think when you really start to sink your teeth into it yourself, you start to understand where these plays are coming from. Um, and then, you know, that's going to help you decide where to spend up uh, and decide which guy. Is it going to be a Paul night or is it going to be a Rondo night or is it a Curry night? You know, decide which guy you're going to spend up for. Yeah, when you got a night where you have Rondo, Wall, Paul, Lillard, Curry – Isaiah Thomas, you know, this will help you kind of make that decision about is it worth going, you know, 10-6 for Steph Curry or is it maybe night where I want to go 8-4 for Isaiah Thomas and save save some money and spend it elsewhere. Is that what you're pretty much saying? Yeah, and it's going to be – I'm going to track to see what comes out of tonight because um, based on what I did digging into the, into the uh, pace of play and opponent rank, I had the Clippers coming out as the best matchup for point guards, so – Based on what I've done, um, I'm hoping that Paul has the biggest output to make my data look like it's on the right track. Um, and behind him, I have Isaiah Thomas there. Atlanta had a good uh, matchup for their point guards as well. Um, so we'll see if that pans out and if we're trending in the right direction and what it means. Yeah, and one thing I just wanted to clear up when Ed says reach value. Okay, so... Our goal here when we're putting lineups together is to find guys that are going to hit five times their salary value. Okay, so if you pay $8,000 for a guy, 
you you expect 40 points from them. So you put that 8 and you multiply it by, by 5. And kind of how we get to that is it's a $50,000 cap for NBA on DraftKings. 250 points is usually good enough to get you near the money in DraftKings. So $50,000 at 5 times value is 250 points. Um, so that's usually what we're trying to get to. And when we look at our value plays, it's usually guys that are going to get minutes. And if you're going to pay, you know, $3,000 for a cheap guy, that's the lowest you can get him in DraftKings. You're hoping for at least 15 points. So that's a term we're going to use a lot here in those podcasts. And just wanted you guys to know what we mean when we say hit value. Yeah, and I, I think the big thing is you got to set <clears throat> you got to set your goals based on what you're playing in. You're playing in a cash game. Five times value is what you're looking for. If you're shooting to get high up in the money in a GPP in those big tournaments, you really want to try and stretch for six times value to get yourself there, which is harder to do. Um, and NBA is something you got to be in tune with. You're going to find the value plays 10 minutes before tip-off when someone's a late scratch and someone's going to go from 10 minutes a game to 25 minutes a game. Um, that's the one big thing about it. You don't get the inactives as early as you do in the NFL with them playing almost every night or a couple nights a week. You got to be in tune with it. You got to be near a computer and near your phone, and and be on track with who's going to be in and out, um, and find those guys that are going to get the opportunity. Because really, it's all about opportunity. If they're given the opportunity, they'll find the stats for you to reach value. But you got to find the guys that are going to be given the opportunity on any given night. All right, so we're going to circle over to our third sport that we cover here on the Red Triangle Sports Podcast. Um, we're going to talk a little bit of baseball here. It is the middle of January and. Nobody's really playing any baseball yet, but it's a good time to talk about it, I think, with some things that have been going on. So this is kind of why we had Bull here. Bull's one of the baseball experts that we'll be talking to throughout the year, probably. Um, let's talk off-season moves. Anybody that just jumps off the radar as they went to a new team, and I like their ability to maybe produce this year with their new team. Not to really put you on the spot, but... Um, <clears throat> Drankey going to the Diamondbacks is interesting because um, Chase Field's kind of not known as a hitter's park. Yeah. It's a little deeper. and um, But now he's going to have to face the Dodgers instead of pitch for them. But I, I kind of like his value. I like what the Do- uh, Diamondbacks have been doing to try to get their game going. They, they had a young team last year. Goldschmidt's a stud, and Pollock was very underrated. So I think he's going to have a good year down in Arizona. Um, on the other hand, We'll, we'll talk. We're talking about more about free agents. Yeah, later. yeah, we're gonna keep going there. But, um, I'm trying to think who else. What, what do you think about Jason Hayward going to the Cubs? For me, I feel like he's exactly what that team needed. I'm, I'm missing him as a Cardinals fan. Yeah, I like that too. Uh, him, lefty in Wrigley Field. He's gonna get opportunities. Um, obviously, to be their star outfielder, and <clears throat> um, I think he's gonna, his his home run potential is gonna go up playing there, and. Um, I don't know, I've, I've been a Hayward fan ever since he came in. He, he hasn't really maybe reached the potential that people thought he was going to be that huge superstar, but he's definitely a solid player, and I think he's, I think his fantasy value is going to go up. All right, and as a Yankees fan, Araldis Chapman, what what are your expectations? <clears throat> I love this move just because our bullpen has what was one of the best in the league is by far the best in the league now. It's going to be interesting to watch if the suspensions or if the suspension does get handed out. With this whole um, <clears throat> domestic violence, there was no charges. So me personally, I don't think there's going to be a suspension because it's all he said, she said, and he never got arrested. But 
him firing shots into his garage. <clears throat> that is a really good thing. Um, so that's that's going to be interesting to watch. But I think he's Girardi has already named him the closer, and they, they, they're not going to do the three-headed monster where if they put Batanzer Miller in there one night. So I, he's, I don't know, I really like it. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, I think that makes the Yankees pretty dangerous. And, you know, one of the weaknesses, I think, on the Yankees is their starting rotation. And now you're not as worried about it because the 7th, 8th, and ninth are pretty much closed out. And you could even say the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth because yeah. Batanzas has shown he can go yeah. two innings. He's a workhorse. Yeah, so if you can get five from your starting pitcher, um, I like a lot of the things the Yankees are doing. Uh, the trend in baseball right now is to shorten the game. And, you know, I love the, the move not only for the Yankees, but I love it for the Cardinals that they don't have to deal with Chapman like 20 times a year <laughs> now. So one under-the-radar um, – signing that happened last week that I think is going to be a, maybe a huge steal. Gerardo Parra going to Colorado. Obviously, guys in Colorado, um, huge, huge offensive output. He's been, He had a really great season last year. I'm not sure what kind of an opportunity he's going to get right now because Dickerson, Blackman, and Cargo um, in the outfield, I'd still expect them to move one of those guys now with Cargo what they paid been, Parra. Yeah, his name, Cargo's name is definitely good on the training block and that's been since, ever since the season. So I think, obviously, they're not going to be that great of a team. So I think they're going to look to move him. Yeah, one of the teams I, I thought it would be interesting to get cargo is the Orioles. I don't think that's going to happen now that they just signed Chris Davis. No. You, you're you still happy with Davis in Baltimore, though. You still expect big numbers? Yeah, he's he's only 29. <coughs> it's, he's still in, somewhere in his prime. And I don't like the tr- – I don't like the signing – just because I think that was way too much money just to pay a designated hitter. But, I mean, I guess he plays first base sometimes. Yeah. But, um, it, they had to. He They needed they needed to get him back, get his production back, because they're not going to replace him with anything else. Um, there's still talks that he, they're going to get Cespedes. They had, a, I think it was a five-year, $90 million offer out to him. And I think that them spending the money on Davis and showing that they're going to, they're still maybe looking to get Cespedes, that might make him more willing to go there because they're going to be they're going to be a good team this year. I've always liked the Orioles, as I, I don't know what their pitching is going to be at, but if they get Cespedes, that's definitely a team to watch out. Yeah, if he's looking for a long term deal, I'm not sure he's going to get one. If it, if he doesn't sign yeah. with Baltimore, he may be looking for a one year deal and then retest the market next year. Yeah, I know the Mets. He was thinking about taking a one year deal with the Mets, but Camden Yards versus City Field. There's really no no debate there. Okay, so those are some of the bigger names um, to change teams. Granke, Hayward, Chapman, and then I threw in a little para as I think that might be sneaky. One other thing that you're really interested in is prospects cards. Yes. And guys, you're collecting you know prospects and trying to sell them at their peak value. Who are some guys that you have collections of for this year that you're hoping hit max value and you're looking to kind of dump and get rid of at when they hit that peak? Um, well, the big name is... <clears throat> Uh, that everybody knows is Corey Seager. He experienced the uh, the Vigs for a little bit at the end of last year, had an, a decent showing, kind of struggled in the postseason. But his value right now is off the charts. <clears throat> um, in the in the prospecting world, you buy in the offseason, you buy. I, I've just been buying recently. And when spring training hits, that's when all the prospect hype comes out, all the top 10, top 100 lists per team come out. And people on eBay just go ridiculous buying the latest and greatest trout. They think they're going to be the next trout, going to be the next Harper. And as you know, nine times out of ten, that doesn't happen. Yeah. But people are willing to spend that money, take that shot. 
So Corey Seager is the name that everybody knows. Another guy is Lucas Giolito, mm-hmm. a starting pitcher for the national, uh, yeah, the Nationals organization. Probably the top minor league arm, pitching right? Yeah. yeah, he's uh, in rankings that I've seen. He's the the um, top pitching prospect with Julio Urias behind him from the mm-hmm. Dodgers. Um, so those two guys, Aaron Judge, is a big name that's been thrown around recently. The outfield prospect from the Yankees. Um, he is Giancarlo Stanton to a T. He's six seven. Looks like he should be being a tight end in the NFL, but um, not your typical giant. He isn't all power. He only had about, I think it was 24 home runs in the minor leagues last year, um, and but hit for a 310-315 average. He struggled a little bit when he got caught up to AAA, but they're expecting him to come up and rake in Yankee Stadium, and somebody I'm definitely looking to cash in on. I'm not as high as some people are on him, and he actually has recently fallen a little bit in people's eyes, but... Um, I still think that he's definitely going to be a moneymaker for a lot of people. Especially being a Yankees prospect, right? Oh, you yeah. want you want the big-name teams like yeah, Washington the big market and teams. L.A. And Actually, the Nationals, surprisingly, aren't very really? hobby. They don't get much hobby love. The Red Sox, the Cubs are off the charts. Um, <clears throat> and the Dodgers, obviously. So those are the guys that... So those are guys, when, you, when you're when you looking for them and you're collecting them in the offseason, you're expecting them to reach the bigs in 16 then. Is right. that what you're saying? Well, there's there's two ways to go about it. On, for those guys, you're buying in at a higher value, and then you're looking to sell, make a quick profit. But there's also those guys, like the 16-year-olds that get signed out of the Dominican and all those Latin American countries that, like a guy like by the name of Gilbert Lara or Edmundo Sosa. The, Lara is a shortstop in the um, Brewers organization. He's he's blocked by a guy named Orlando Arcia, who's another guy that I put a lot of money in, who's going to be in the mix for the um, starting job this, this year for the Brewers. But those guys... Uh, Edmundo Sosa is a shortstop prospect for the Cardinals. Those guys are 16, 17 years old that have just gotten signed that nobody has any idea about. So I've been buying their autographs for 4 or $5 a piece, and I'm probably going to have to hold on to them for three years at the least until they're actually making. But <clears throat> So those are the ones you want to take. Maybe you can take more of a gamble on because they're not as expensive. Yeah, you buy early. The prospect world has just blown up, and I think a lot of it has to do with fantasy sports. Um I know I'm in a league with 15 other guys, and we have 20-man minor league rosters. It, it's crazy that you know you have to kind of project these guys so early now in fantasy. And I was in a league this year where I jumped out and got Chris Bryant, Carlos Correa. I was just grabbing guys a week or two in advance before they were getting called up because if they come up and they become you know the next thing, having Correa help help me win that league this year. Oh, yeah. um, especially at the shortstop position. So that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you about that because I know that's something that me and you kind of have in common about following prospects. And that, I know that, that that card thing is really big right now for you. So who who are some guys this year that you kind of got rid of as their hype really hit the um, ceiling? The most money I made this year was Joey Gallo. He he came up, had that monster day with that moonshot into the um, second deck and then put the other one uh, put another ball off the wall for a double went three for four and his prices just skyrocketed and that night you sold <laughs> and, that, and I listed everything on eBay even before that game even happened at ridiculous prices and people just hit the buy it now's right away um, and then two weeks later I wouldn't have been able to sold for what I bought it for yeah so that's what the prospect market is is it's, it's ridiculous as soon as they're called up that's when you get the most amount of money there's guys like Mike Trout who obviously that's once in a thirty-year talent, that their their value, their peak value, isn't until later in their career. But 
it's even less than nine times out of ten. It's ninety-five times out of a hundred where they're not going to live up to that. So. But that's the unknown, and I think that that goes for <clears throat> fantasy sports too with the, some of these prospects in Major League Baseball. As we start to talk about them when we get into the spring, um, if you're in a league where you have minor leaguers, the best time to trade them is the day that they are announced that they're coming up. Yes. Because like you said, they're not going to be Trout or Harper nine times out of ten. And if you can flip one of those lottery ticket minor leaguers for a proven outfielder that's maybe slumping at the time or might be hurt, um, that's a great way to get value in fantasy. I know I did it um, about a year ago, almost to the day probably. Gregory Polanco had played a half a season. And he was was okay in Pittsburgh. But I flipped him for a real unknown in Mookie Betts. And I actually got some draft cash, too, along with Betts. Wow. So, Betts is a guy that he's like a sleeper candidate for AL MVP right now. Um, So, if you can find the right time to flip those (coughs) prospects, that's kind of where you get value. So, was there anybody else other than Gallo? Do you have Schwarber that you got rid of? Uh, Yeah, I had had a few Schwarbers that... um, I had... I was lucky enough to have a few of them, so I... Hung on to one. I, I sold initially when he got called up and started hitting his home runs. And I held on to one until uh, this postseason. Him and Jorge Soler, I, I had a card of each of theirs. And during their postseason run, all the Cubbies fans got all jazzed up about the uh, the World Series coming back to town. And, and they had huge postseason games. So that was another place where I could cash in and make, make a lot of money. <clears throat> but it, um, going off of that, most guys, even if they're highly rated... The reason you sell when they're hot is because a lot of guys are going to struggle. Even the best guys are going to struggle as soon as they come up. It's rarely rare that they're going to have success right away. So if you're willing to, uh, if you're willing to take that risk or not take that risk, but if you're willing to give it up and not think that they're going to be that great right away, you're going to get nice value in return for a guy that's probably in his first full season or his first season isn't going to be a full season. He's probably going to hit two forty, two fifty. And somewhere and struggle, try to find his way into the majors, trying to break in. All right, so that I think that was a, just a fun little way to kind of segue into our our MLB talk that we're going to have um, as we get closer in the off season. I think the off season is the best time to talk fantasy baseball um, as we all prep for what we expect to happen here in the 2016 season. Um, all right, so that's kind of all we got for tonight. The first quarter just ended here in Arizona Green Bay, so we're going to kind of settle in and watch the rest of this one. Uh, two games on the slate for tomorrow and then obviously NBA, so get your lineups in. But for Matt Kozlowski and joined again by Eddie Mitchum and Dylan Bull, wrapping up the Red Triangle Sports Podcast.